You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. You're looking good. Simo said it, but I agree. Looking good this morning, church. Come on, are you feeling good? Did you look at yourself in the mirror this morning and go, get out of town? How did that happen? Right? I, uh, I'm wearing my Justin Bieber mic this morning. It's going to be good. Come on. Is it too late to say that I'm sorry? <laughs> yes. Come on. Hey, can we thank the band? What a great job this morning. They are so, so good. Um, well, my name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I get the incredible privilege, along with my wife, to, to lead the creative team, and uh, they are just going from strength to strength. Um, come on. Give, just give them, some, give them some love this morning. They were here early. You think it's cold? At uh, 10.30, they were here at, at like 7, and it was fresh. My car said 7 degrees at 7 this morning, so... I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying this season that we're in, uh, this series as a church, A Time to Breathe. Um, I don't know how often you guys take a time to breathe, but I think it's a great reminder uh, that it's something that we need in our lives. Um, just time, just space, just a moment to take stock right, of where we're at, where our heart's at, where our soul's at. Uh, and this is a great season to do that. So can I encourage you this morning, um, be engaged, be expectant. Um, you, you are responsible for the limit of what you receive from the Word. Do you know that? You set how much you eat. It's like a, it's like a buffet from the Word, but, but you are the one that sets how much you eat. So, so you can do that by, I think, sitting forward helps. I think it's, it's a posture that engages with what's happening. Uh, I'm going to stretch you guys this morning. Is that all right? I'm going to draw something out of you so that you can feed on, on something for your soul this morning. I don't want you just to leave having had a nice time and an encounter with some tangible presence, which is fantastic, but I want to, I want to draw you into an encounter with God that is real from His Word, where He's able to do something in your soul that makes a difference in your Monday to Saturday. So do you want that this morning, church? Come on. That's what I like to hear. See how responsive you were then? I love that. I love that. You know, response is not just for the sake of loudness. I believe response is, it's, 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 a, it's an outward indication of what we, we have going on in our spirit, whether it's a response for salvation or an, an amen or a yes or a come on or whatever it is. It's because something has hit a spot in your spirit and you want to make a physical agreement with that. And you want to say, yes, I agree with that in my spirit. or Amen, make it so, God, in me. Uh, so don't shy away from being responsive. It helps me to know that, that God's speaking right into your kitchen this morning, all right? And obviously, it's important to take notes in church, yeah? Um, I don't know about you, I'm only 33 and I still don't remember what was preached by Wednesday, all right? And uh, 
Uh, it's normally by Wednesday that I probably need what was preached on Sunday. Uh, so I, I don't want to make any jokes about taking notes. I'm just going to say if you take them, you have something that you can go back to on Wednesday when you actually need it, uh, and it's slipped out of your brain because life is hectic. Uh, let's be real, right? By Wednesday, life has taken the place of what we heard on Sunday. And if we don't have something to look back on, uh, how are we going to get back to that place where we were at, at Sunday? So with that said, we're going to dive into the Word. We, uh, we were in a series, A Time to Breathe. It's a series on rest. Pastor Keith opened it up last week here at Central, and Pastor Earl did an amazing job at Northwest last week, opening up our series and uh, looking at an overview. And I was, I was talking to Pastor Keith this week and uh, looking over his notes. Um, I was at Northwest last week, so I wasn't able to be here, but... I thought it was really interesting that he decided to start off by saying what rest isn't and what rest doesn't do. And sometimes it's really helpful to, dis, to, de, no, to define something by what it's not, right? So he said that rest does not mean inactivity. Rest does not mean we are powerless. Rest does not take away our passion. So he set us up for exploring over the next four weeks what rest is. And we're going to look at four areas that I believe are integral to what rest is. This morning, we're going to talk about restoration. Um, next week, we're going to look at enjoyment, then security, and then trust. And if you're someone that does take notes, what you'll be able to do is write those four down, and you'll see that it, it is really creative because the first letters spell rest. So it's something for you to remember, right? Come on. Who wrote funny poems in high school to remember the first 20 elements of the periodic table? Yeah, I did. I did. I, now I don't need them because I have Google, but yeah, I did back in the day. If you've got your Bible, I'd love you to open up to two places, Psalm 23 and Hebrews 4. Uh, we're going to bounce between those two today, Psalm 23 and Hebrews 4. The beauty of having a technology and a screen behind me is that if you did not uh, bring your Bible or if, if you've got a, a digital one and so you can't quite be in two places at once, you can follow along on the screen behind us. Psalm 23, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read from the New King James this morning, which is different from me. I like to live in the New Learner's Translation, as Pastor Keith calls it. But here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And Hebrews 4, verse 1 to 3. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. God, I want to thank you that you are alive, you are active, you are here this morning to meet with us and to do a work in our soul. God, I thank you that you are committed to helping us find rest. You are committed to helping us find restoration. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help our hearts to be open, to hear your word, to comprehend your word, and to receive your word. 
Uh, Lord, we pray this morning uh, for Northwest. I pray for Pastor Jez as she brings the word over there. And uh, Lord, I pray for our uh, mighty football team, the Newcastle Knights. God, I pray that you would be with them as they play the Bulldogs. Help, them to, help there to be a miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, we've got to get off the bottom of the table, guys. We cannot do the three-peat of the wooden spoon. It would be horrendous. As you guys know, I like to think of myself as an athlete. And um, I, um, I've done some, some training from time to time. I ran a half marathon. I'm wondering with Pastor Simo whether it's, it's worse not to start or not to finish. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, him and I are committed, committed to finishing another half marathon together. It will happen. Um, we, got, we got babies all over the place at the moment and, and, and different parts of life getting in the way of training, but we'll get there and he'll finish and uh, that'll be a great, great preaching analogy for the fact that, you know, life is a process of change. It's not an event. But I, um, I've gotten injured from time to time as an athlete. I remember one particular injury I had um, was, was in the arch of my foot. And um, I was one of those people where I thought, look, if it, it's not that bad, and I'm pretty sure if I just keep training, if I just keep running, I'm sure it'll fix itself. Does anyone else live like that? Like you have an ailment in your body and you assume that if you continue to do what you've been doing, it's going to fix itself because our body has those magical powers um, and we don't need doctors. Um, and so I just continued to keep running and running and it got so bad I couldn't actually walk when I got out of bed in the morning. Like I would go to get out of bed, I'd put my foot down, I'd be like, oh, oh I'd like limping out to put the coffee machine on and, and eventually it would kind of warm up a bit and I'd be fine. What I've realized is that things don't get better, uh, and that didn't get better, and, and actually it's, it's, it's been a blessing in disguise uh, having another little baby because it's, it's gotten in the way of my training schedule. That sounded bad, but um, it's, it's caused me to rest. I haven't had the capacity in my life to be up late and up early, so something had to go, and some my baby couldn't go. Um, my, my running went, okay? So my running normally happens early in the morning. It puts the least sort of impact on family time, so, so because because I was up late at night, I couldn't get up early in the morning, and so I haven't been running very much, which is starting to show. But um, what I've realized, and I only realized two days ago, was oh, my foot's not hurting anymore. It's, not, it's good. It's fine. It's good. And funnily enough, maybe it's because I've been resting. Maybe it's because I haven't been continuing on doing what I was doing. And I've recognized that actually there is an importance in rest, particularly when it comes to restoration. Another analogy I like to use is that because I'm a gardener, and you guys would know that, I like to garden. Um, we've got some sweet, fresh produce happening at the moment, if you saw Insta Story. I've uh, got some broccoli cranking out. Can't wait to give that away, because no one actually likes to eat it. But looks good, looks good growing in my garden. Uh, no, I, I like broccoli. I like beetroot. It's growing as well. And I was talking to my father-in-law about my lemon tree. And I was like, Dad... I've got no lemons on it. What's going on? And he said, he said Nate, what you need to do is you need to, you need to dig a huge area around the lemon tree 
and, and you need to fertilize the soil, okay, while it's not doing anything. So while your soil is at rest, you need to put all this fertilizer into it so that then when the seed, like when your tree is dormant and it's not needing nutrients, um, stir all this fertilizer in so that when the season comes for producing fruit, there's already enough fertilizer in the soil. And some of you might be like, how does that relate? Well, maybe it relates to the fact that you're facing a whole heap of fertilizer in your life at the moment, and just maybe God's using that season of, of fertilization in your life to prepare the soil of your heart for fruit in the future. Who knows that, that fertilizer in the most part is something like cow or chicken manure. And sometimes we have all sorts of manure in our life, um, but maybe it's just preparing the soil of your heart for the season of fruit. You see, you cannot have restoration without rest. You can't even spell it. You can't even start it. You can't begin restoration without rest. Uh, and so I believe that as we, we go through today looking at how we access true rest, we're going to find that accessing true rest is the start point of the journey of restoration. Um, you see, my opening story about, about running was, was really about physical rest. And although physical rest is good and I enjoy a holiday as much as the next person, except Pastor Keith who, you know, told us last week he doesn't, but... I love going on holiday. Book me a book me a all inclusive Thailand five nights, seven nights. Um, that is that is right up there on my love to do list, right? And 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 I get a lot of enjoyment from going away. I certainly get a lot of physical rest. Enjoy quality family time when I go away. And look, balance is important. And I'm certainly not advocate for workaholicism. I think that's a word. However. I think we need to recognize that even when we return from a holiday, we might have had the stress of life alleviated for a small section of time, but when we get back, what happens is that because the holiday hasn't had the power to actually deal with the issue in our soul, as soon as we go back into the situation that was pressing on our weakness or pressing on our brokenness, whether it was a, a stressful work situation or whether it was a relationship issue, that thing is still there and it's going to press straight back on that issue in your soul, and immediately you're at that point where you need rest again. The holiday does not have the power to bring restoration to your soul. It's simply an alleviation of stress for a season. I want us to discover a rest that we can access all the time. And whilst doing so, actually have restoration, actually have healing, actually have work done on our soul, so that just maybe that, that area that so easily takes us to that point of needing rest, might find some healing, might find some restoration, might find some fixing under the power of Jesus. If we're not willing to acknowledge that it is actually the unresolved issue of our soul which causes us to need rest, then we are not yet even at the start of our restoration. You see, this, this need for rest or this lack of rest that we experience, these issues of our soul are not, they're not isolated. You know, it's not like we're strange for having these issues in our soul. I don't know if you realize this, but it's a widespread epidemic. It's, it's not something that is just us. Sometimes we think that when we have an issue, it's just me that has the issue, and, and, and we get all a little bit like weird about that, and we're not able to talk about it. But it's not us. It's, it's a, it's, it's, I like to call it the human condition. Everybody has issues. 
We all have holes in our souls. And, and I don't know what yours are. Maybe they're trust issues. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you have identity crisis. Maybe it's a lack of confidence, image issues, you struggle with comparison, pain, regret, mistakes, pride, bitterness, disappointment, hurt. I don't know if it sounds like you, or it sure sounds like me. It sounds like humanity, right? We just, I think we need to get to a point where we can be real enough to just go, hey, we have issues, people. Like, we all, we all have issues. And, and it's only when we get to a point of acknowledging that we have those issues and that those issues are the reason we get to a point in our life where we need rest. It's only when we're able to do that that we have opened the door for God to come in. Because while we pretend that the issue is not the issue, he has no capacity to deal with it with us. You see, each of those things that I mentioned, they all culminate in the same thing. They all take us to a point where life presses on those areas and we end up getting churned up. We end up anxious or stressed or depressed or we just end up living under this weight of heaviness. And we go on a holiday and it lifts for a second, but as soon as we're back in life, it's there again because the issue has not been dealt with. The human condition. Isn't it good that even though we have the human condition, we actually have the almighty solution? You see, we aren't left to our own devices with the human condition. We have good news. Hebrews 4 tells us we have good news. You see, if I finished preaching at the end of the human condition, you all would have left feeling a whole lot worse about yourself because all we did was highlight that we have issues and we didn't give a solution. The whole point of the church is to bring the solution into the light so that the whole of humanity can have a solution for their human condition. The solution is Jesus. He is the almighty solution. Hebrews 4 tells us there is good news, that we might have the human condition, but we can access a solution that God's promise of rest still stands. Just as it stood all those years ago, it is still available for us to walk into today. If you dig into Hebrews 4 a little bit, if you do a little bit of study around Hebrews 4, what you'll find is that actually what, what um, the writer is talking about, that idea of the place of rest, is actually salvation. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that we have this, this place of rest for our spirit that we can enter where we are completely right with, Christ, with, with God. There is no more tension in our spirit between us and God, that tension created by separation because of sin or because of doing what God's told us not to do, which creates an angst in our spirit and separates us from him. Place of rest, it says, was prepared before the foundations of the earth. Revelation 13.8 says to us that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the earth. It was announced to them, the Jews, who didn't believe and so remained under the oppressive nature of the law. There is no rest under law because we cannot satisfy the requirements of the law and therefore exist in that state of rest with Christ. But God always had a plan. That Revelations verse tells us that his plan, his solution existed before he even created the earth, knowing that we were going to have the human condition. 
He gave us free choice. Free choice is what leads us into those decisions which create within us the human condition. But God knew the condition would surface, and he already had an eternal solution. Crucifixion was never the backup plan. It was always the plan. It was always the ultimate solution that would surpass and deal with the problem that if he didn't allow to be there in the first place, we never would have been able to interact with him in our own free will. You see, if he takes free will away, he takes away our ability to say no to him, which means we also don't have the ability to say yes. He wanted us to have the ability to say yes and so knew that there would be a problem called our human condition. And so he still created for us the opportunity to say yes because that's what he wanted, but he always planned for there to be an overarching solution. Ah, he's a good God, come on. I want to, is it all right if I teach a little bit this morning? That's why I've got my Bieber mic on so that I can, I can use the whiteboard. I am a high school teacher, so I hope that you're going to be able to read my writing. I've had students tell me that I'm actually a terrible writer on the board. But I want to introduce you to a term called the tripartite. Yeah, if you're taking notes, tripartite, it's on the board there. Um, for those of you that like to look into language, you'll recognize tri, it means three. What we're talking about here is the idea that we as humans are made up of three parts. Okay, and I'm going to draw something that um, you've seen Pastor Keith draw a number of times in our series on freedom. There's nothing new under the sun, right? We have a spirit. Let's spell it correctly. We have a soul, which I like to call our mind, our will, and our emotions. And then we have our body. We are three parts, tripartite, okay? Three part, it's not really a confusing word. It just sounds really tricky. Now, here's the reality, right? We know that salvation is accessed by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. That is Romans 10, 9. If you ever want to know how to tell someone how to get saved, that is your verse. Super simple. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, death, resurrection, game over, salvation. At the point that we receive salvation, our spirit becomes transformed, right? We receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there is this common understanding that we are saved, we are being saved, but that we will be saved. Now, if that's not confusing enough, um, what I like to link that with is that what happens at salvation is that our spirit... I hope I'm not writing too small. I think it's on the board for you. You can't read that. That says saved. Our spirit gets saved at that point. Immediately we receive the Holy Spirit. At that point we immediately receive every single promise that is connected to salvation in the whole world. It is available to us in our spirit. We have it. We are a new creation. The old thing has gone. The new has come. All of those verses are wrapped up in full completion in our spirit at the point of salvation. But we are also being saved. And we see that played out in the area of our soul. 
Romans 12 tells us that we are transformed, continually processed by the renewing, continual process of our mind. That area in us that is not fully come into alignment with everything that our spirit has received at salvation. So there are at times a disconnect between what we think, but then what is actually in our spirit. Because our spirit is fully holy, it is the Holy Spirit, but our mind is, is being transformed, it is still on this process of transformation according to what is in our spirit. And then we know, thanks to the reading Revelation, that one day our body will get saved. Now, I know that I'm oversimplifying something that is utterly complex, but let's just go with it for this morning, all right? That we, are, we have a part, our spirit saved, being saved. One day, we'll all get the body that we want. We'll be able to walk through walls, but still eat fish and drink wine, so we're going to be happy. But one day, we'll get a new body, all right? We are saved, being saved, and we'll be saved. But we could also, since we're talking about restoration this morning, we could say that we are fully restored. We are being restored. And one day we will be restored. Which leads us to believe that actually our spirit is in full that, that full place of restoration, it is complete. There is nothing lacking from our spirit. However, we have to allow that restoration to work its way out. You see, Hebrews 4 tells us that that place of salvation, that place that our spirit now currently resides, continually resides, that place of salvation is the place of rest. It's the rest that was always available to us. It was the rest that the Jews missed because they didn't believe that they had access to it. And it's the rest that is still available to us. And Hebrews 4 is all about salvation. So we know that Hebrews 4 is saying that when we receive salvation, we enter a place of Rest in our spirit. Where is the rest that you long for? It's in you. It is in your spirit. And as we've already said, restoration flows from a place of rest. Unfortunately, too often, our soul gets in the way. Too often we live according to our emotions, we live according to our feelings without taking the opportunity to stop in a moment and remind our soul of the reality that exists in our spirit. You see, we're no longer searching for an external experience of rest. We are learning how to access the inner state of rest. It has to be a conscious decision to take the reality that exists in our spirit and work it out through our soul to our body. Studies on stress will tell you that those who are stressed are more prone to sickness. Sickness is something that we experience in our body. The state of your soul will have an effect on your body. That's because we don't allow the state of our spirit to have an effect on our soul. If we allowed the state of our spirit to have an effect on our soul, we would find that our soul would come into alignment with what is in our spirit, and that is rest.
We need to stop seeking a complex Christianity. It's actually really simple. It's simple because where we started, which was the cross, is the only place we need to keep accessing. We don't need to add anything to the cross. The cross was what enabled us to have salvation, to have rest, to have a restored spirit come and live within us. If that is what allowed that to begin with, then that is also the place we have to return to, to have the full expression of the realities of Christ and our spirit flow out through our soul and take us to the point of full transformation in Christ. I don't know if anyone here has had surgery uh, in a hospital. Uh, for a while, I held a record at hospital. Um, I was the youngest child at the Prince of Wales Children's Hospital to have a bowel biopsy without anaesthetic. Yeah, it's, it's not really applaudable, but, you know, it's, it's something. It's, you know, it's like one of those obscure things you get to put your hand up and go, if it was in the Guinness Book of Records, I would be in there. But it's not. But you see, how that came about was... Um, I was, when I was younger, I was diagnosed with celiac disease, and back in the day, you couldn't do a blood test for that. You had to do a bowel biopsy, a little tube all the way down, take a little bit, bring it back up, look under a microscope. Yep, that's not right. Um, uh, you have celiac disease. Now, celiac disease is a buzz diet, and I'm really not impressed with that. However, um, when I was first diagnosed, I was, I was about five, and we lived in Sydney, and between uh, five and me turning six, we moved to Melbourne. Um, and to confirm the diagnosis, you have to have a repeat bowel biopsy a year later. So a year later, we've moved to, to, to Melbourne, and my mum wanted uh, the same doctor to do the procedure. So we all organised that we're going to, okay, Nate and mum are going to fly up to Sydney uh, from Melbourne for the day so that Nate can have the procedure. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit prone to head colds, and um, on the flight, I didn't start to feel real well, a little bit chunky up in the sinus area, and um, we arrived at hospital, and I'm um, getting all in the pre-op sort of phase, and um, the nurse says to me, uh, oh no, I said to mum, oh, I'm not feeling very well, mum said no, she's not feeling very well, and the nurse goes, oh look, I'll get you some lemonade. Now if any of you have had anaesthetic, you would know you can't eat or drink prior to going under general anaesthetic. Unfortunately, I'm six, I didn't know that. Someone gave me lemonade, right? I'm six. And, and I looked at that and I went, thank you very much. Down the thing. And, and so the doctor comes in and goes, fantastic. So you've been fasting and you're good to go. And we, mum and I looked at each other and went, uh, he said lemonade. Nurse bought lemonade. He goes, oh, well, we can't do the anesthetic. Long story short, no anesthetic, bowel biopsy, lots of throwing up, um, and now I have a record. I tell you that story because that's not the way surgery is meant to work, all right? That's, that's not what's meant to happen. I've since had a far better experience of surgery where I had my wisdom teeth out, and what happens is, is I go to hospital, I lie on a bed, they do something, I fall asleep, I wake up, and something's changed, right? That's the way surgery is meant to happen, right? Where I wake up and suddenly I'm in a different room sitting in a recliner chair and, and feeling great. And, and, and my teeth are gone. I didn't even have to experience anything. It's the way that our soul should be restored. You know, the process of surgery, where we come to the hospital, we lie down, a place of rest, and get up again and realize that something has changed. 
Psalm 23 outlines this process beautifully. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you believe that that's who he is? Is he real to you? Is he your God? Not in your heart, not sorry, not in your head, but in your heart. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, the Lord initiates the process of restoration by taking us to a place of rest. He leads me beside still waters. He will lead us through the process of restoration peacefully and consistently. Just remember it's a process, not an event. He restores my soul. He is faithful to bring to completion the good work that he began within you. Sorry. All right, let's land this plane. Let's talk about Peter. I love Peter. Super easy to relate to. Foot in mouth disease, right? Can't knock the guy's passion. But if we go to John 21, we pick up the story of Peter at probably Peter's lowest point. John 21 talks about how Peter has gone back to doing what he did before he met Jesus. The reason for this is because Peter stuffed up. Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter's disappointed in himself. Peter thinks he's blown it. Peter's got guilt. Peter's got shame. Peter's got regret. Peter's got disappointment. Aren't they the human condition? Aren't they the holes in our soul? And Peter's response, like so many of us is, instead of pushing in, pulls back. I'm done. It's too confronting for me to deal with my mistake. It's too confronting for me to deal with my disappointment in what I did. So I'm going to go away from the point that brings it up. But so that we don't travel the whole chapter and summarize it for you, Jesus brings Peter full circle. Jesus steps back into Peter's life in the same way he did the first time. He uses the same miracle of a huge catch of fish to remind Peter of what he always knew. You see, just like Peter, Jesus wants to bring us full circle. He wants to bring us back to the cross. He wants to remind us that when we started at the cross, we don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to find some other process. We need to find ourselves coming back to the cross. You see, what, what happened when, when Jesus said to Peter, hey, throw your nets on the other side, and a miraculous catch of fish arrived again, it reminded Peter, that's Jesus, that's my Savior. And Peter believed again. Jumps up, jumps out the boat, swims to shore, which is so Peter, right? I love that God doesn't change your personality because he arrives at the shore the same time the boat does. Such a waste of passion, but so Peter. He makes a conscious decision to believe that Jesus is 
who he said he is again. Revelation might happen in our spirit, but for transformation to be seen in our body and our actions, application must occur as a conscious decision in our soul. If you want to get what's in here to move out through here, it will require a conscious decision in your mind. If you have revelation that God is your peace, it will require a conscious decision of your mind to remind yourself of that revelation when you step into a place where the world or or business or relationships or whatever it is seeks to bring anxiety into your world. Anxiety will try to enter like this. We have the solution here, but the decision is made here. To enter rest requires a conscious decision. It is a conscious decision where I remind myself, my God is real. My God is with me. And if he is, there are implications for my soul. And I enter his rest. All Peter had to do was believe. All Peter had to do was remind his soul who God is to him. You see, Jesus initiates, Jesus leads, and Jesus completes the restoration. That's in his hands. We can't restore our soul. We can only decide to enter the rest that's already within us. That decision is on us, and it's a decision that is available to us each and every moment of each and every day. End of John 21, Jesus and Peter are sitting by the fire. And Jesus asked Peter three questions. Do you love me? One question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? And it says Peter was grieved. Jesus' purpose was not to grieve Peter, but it was to go to the point in his soul where the disappointment existed. Peter had denied Jesus three times. If Jesus had only asked him twice, then Peter's mistake would always have seemed greater than Jesus' restoration. So Jesus had to go to the point where it hurt Peter in his soul, in his emotions. Sometimes Jesus might push on something in you that that pushes your emotions the wrong way, but, but we need to learn to not live according to our emotions and allow God in our spirit to do the work that he needs to do. I tell you, sometimes it might hurt for there to be restoration, but the restoration will be greater than the pain when Jesus finishes his work. Restoration is found in real, authentic connection with Jesus and the realities of his truths. Some of you guys are here today and you know you need to come back to the cross. I'm not talking about salvation, I'm not talking about a recommitment. This is not an altar call for a decision for Christ. This is about you knowing that Jesus is bringing you back full circle. 
This is about you being honest enough with you and God to know that there are issues in your soul that we all have, but that you have been uh, stepping back from where God is wanting to, to deal with them. Because you know it might hurt. But the Holy Spirit is here this morning to take you into a place of rest where you lie down and wake up and notice that something has changed. Green meadows, peaceful stream. But it requires from you, just like it did from Peter, a conscious decision to believe again, to come back to the cross, to come full circle, to allow the power of the cross to do its work. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.